0: Good evening. It's 8 o'clock in Line. This is Webishivit.org, and it's time to begin our regular Halakhashir. We're talking about uh, uh, cross-dressing, the Torah prohibition of men wearing women's garments and the other way around. It doesn't matter which direction uh, you look at it. uh, It's the same from both directions. And what we've we've learned so far, we've covered so far uh, uh, some of the basic principles governing this prohibition. Uh, we've learned uh, among other things that if the reason one is wearing a garment of the other sex is in order to protect yourself against the elements because it 's you know cold and you, you just need a coat or or it 's rainy and you just need a raincoat if it's if it's uh, clear that the reason you're doing it is to protect yourself against the elements that's not the prohibition of cross dressing because your intention is not at all to look like the other gender, your intention is to protect yourself against the sun, the rain, whatever it is you're protecting yourself against, and that's fine. And we've seen all the sources for that. Uh, We've also seen the sources which uh, uh, speak about uh, cross-dressing in a way which gives a total impression of the other gender, as opposed to just one or two elements. Uh, taken from the other gender. All, all of this we've seen in previous shi'urin. Today, if I get the s- sources on the screen, I can usually do this uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, today, uh, we're going to begin dealing with a, with a slightly uh, different issue, but an issue which nonetheless is, is is firmly rooted in this mitzvah. What about things activities, what, what about what, what about uh, things people do which are not actually clothing, but nonetheless are activities which are associated with the other gender. That's what we're going to talk about today, and we'll see what the opinions of the postkin are about this. Uh, first we begin with the Nitziv, Rav Tsvi, Tzvi, Yehuda, Berlin, the great Rav of Walsh, and the uh, russiashiva in uh, in uh, Voloj he uh, wrote as follows Mishinui katuv kligever. the when we began with the verses at the beginning of this series that we saw that the verses uh, spoke about a Simla, a garment of a woman, which is prohibited for a man. And we saw that the verses spoke about kli gever, a utensil of a man, which is prohibited for a woman. Well, 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 since the verses use the word Simla, a garment, and the word Kli, utensil, it, it therefore follows B'davar hamiyuchad le'ish, anything which is a utensil, which is uniquely for men, only for men for example, for example, weapons, uh, we're talking here about 19th century, right? If we're talking about weapons, only men carry weapons, that's a utensil, which is used only by men, or some utensil, some object, uh, not an article of clothing, but some other object, which is only used by women, back back in the days of the Naziv, in the days of the uh, that it's even the 19th century, the posts were very exercised. The great rabbis were very exercised by the question whether a man is allowed to use a handheld fan to cool himself in the hot summer. Maybe a handheld fan is uh, something which only women use. You know, we're not talking about garments here, we're talking about other activities or other implements which are unique to one gender or the other. What about tahshitin? Or what about some ju- kinds of jewelry to miyuhadin le'isha, which are, which only women wear. Back in those days, in the 19th century, uh, 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 only women wore rings. Well, I'm talking about in the neighborhood of the Nitziv, right? In, in In Eastern Europe, men did not wear rings. That was a Female thing. Now, now it, it follows from the according to the Nativ, that since the verses in the Torah use interchangeably simwa, a garment and kli a utensil, it follows that even though you're not cross-dressing in the sense of wearing a garment of the other gender, you are carrying an implement of the utensil of the other of the other gender. Uh, you're guilty, even if nothing reprehensible happens, even if no one's going to mistake you for the other gender. Well, that's why of all the garments which are which could be mentioned, the the the, the, the Torah only mentions Simla, a dress, a woman's dress, which is a kind of garment that only women wear. Okay, bottom line it turns out that according to the Nitsiv, and the reason i quote the Nitsiv is because he's he's representative or typical of the mainstream thinking of the poskin according to this one is in violation of cross dressing not only by uh, wearing uh, garments of the uh, of the other gender but even by Uh, carrying a single implement, or using a single implement, like a uh, handheld fan in those societies where uh, where men don't do that, you're guilty of uh, of violating the Torah principle of cross-dressing. Okay, now now, now that's an important idea. If you think about it for a moment, we saw plenty of sources last week, according to which one is in violation of cross-dressing with garments, only if it's a complete presentation, Uh, not just one article of clothing of the other gender, but a complete presentation. We saw plenty of sources about that last week. As far as carrying an implement, a utensil of the other gender is concerned, a single element, a single utensil, a uh, a single implement gets you into trouble in violating this particular mitzvah. Okay, the 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 native, which we just saw on the previous screen is typical of the mainstream thinking of postkin but uh let's see mm-hmm. okay uh let me see if there's something that I can do about. The um, yeah, I even see that on the screen. That's good. The uh, uh, let's go down to the to the end of the end of the 20th century by looking at this tshuva of the Be'er Moshe. That's Rav Moshe Stern, uh, originally from Hungary, uh, the, from the town of Debrecen. The Debrecen Rav ended up in New York after the Holocaust. The question which someone asked him is the following. Some men, go, some people, go to have their fingernails manicured. And the 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 the, the, the shop you go to is a place which is frequented by women. Now the question is: Can a man get a manicure? Is that something? Which constitutes a female activity and therefore should be prohibited for men. That's the question. Chuva, uh, His answer begins as follows: Kishut shall sat panim shall lo bederach richizza asur le'ish. Women wash their face. Men wash their face, as long. as 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 they're washing their face in the same way, namely to make their face clean, this is not an imitation of the of the other gender, <clears throat> and all is well. That's as long as we're talking about washing the face in order to be clean. L'fizeh, it follows ma anashim ha what about washing the face, not only to get clean, but also to perfume the face? The, 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 you're using a kind of soap which not only gets you clean, but also perfumes the body. What about that? Well, yeah, well let's consider different kinds of scents which might be involved, he says. Some, scents, uh, some scent, some uh, scent which you might be uh, applying to the body, would be in order to mask or get rid of Zuhama, a bad smell of the body. If all you're trying to do is get rid of a bad smell of the body, that's something men do, that's something women do, that's fine. Oh, but if it's a kind of scent a kind of smell above and beyond just getting rid of or masking a bad body smell. Oh, women perfume themselves, not men. Asur, therefore, this is prohibited for men. Mishun baltilbash, women men are not allowed to perfume themselves beyond using a, a, a soap or whatever in order to mask or get rid of bad, bad body smells. Okay, rab enai. It is therefore evil in my eyes. I think it's really bad. Masha Shim I think it's really bad. I mean, it's really bad. Is not quite the right word. It's really evil. It's really uh, well. Uh, <laughs> you don't want. Oh, that's not right. Uh, you don't want to. Uh, uh, to be guilty, men do not want to be guilty of using ordinary soap. Ordinary soap for men is really bad. Uh, why, why is it really bad? Well, uh, uh, it's really bad. The ordinary soap which they sell in this country, he's writing this in New York back in the 1970s, The ordinary soap which they sell in this country has a very strong scent to it. And indeed, uh, everyone knows the manufacturers devote an awful lot of time and energy uh, to research and making sure their soaps smell good. Ah, that's for women, not for men. Uh, That's a scented soap, which accounts for... Almost all the brands of soap on the market in Europe, North America, and Israel today scented soaps are that's women's activities uh, uh, therefore prohibited for men now i I remember once when i was uh, when I first encountered this uh, this approach, when I first encountered this, I was visiting someone in one of the uh, leading Hasidic yeshivas here in Yerushalayim, and while I was waiting, I had to meet someone, uh, I was listening to the Mashkiach, the uh, spiritual advisor of the yeshiva, haranguing the boys. And uh, what, uh, the subject of the harangue was exactly this issue. He was haranguing the boys not to use any cosmetic products, which, uh, uh, which should be used only by women. In the course of, uh, of his uh, drasha, I call it a harang, he would call it a drasha. In the course of his sitchah, in the course of what he was saying, the mashkiach, his elderly rabbi, held up his hand. And he says to the Talmidim in the yeshiva, "Gukt, take a look at this hand. Dihant, my hand, soap has never touched my hand. Oh, now, oh, I, I, I found that quite amazing. Uh, soap has never touched this hand. And uh, boys, you shouldn't use any soap because they're scented, and uh, that's uh, that's only for women. Well, well, uh, according to the the text on the screen before us, according to the Bare Moshe, it's a Torah prohibition. Uh, for men to use these soaps. he goes on uh, and emphasizes the issue like this. It's true that the Ramah in the Shulchan Aruch, you know, the uh, I don't know if you I don't know if it's correct to call him the co-author of the Shulchan Aruch, but the, the Ramah added the Ashkenaz notes to the Shulchan Aruch. The Ramah Rama in the Shulchan Aruch. Oh, I'm such a horrible typist. You, you, you know, I, I always imagined that uh, you, uh, an archaeologist would be able to figure out the order of the uh, keys on the Israeli keyboard but by, by looking at my typographical errors. Uh, of course, I meant simon and not dimon, but those are right next to each other on the Israeli keyboard. In, in, in any event, it's true that the Shulchan Aruch permits... It's true that the Shulchan Aruch permits men... To look in mirrors. It's true. Ashokanok says, if a man looking in a mirror is not guilty of, uh, of using a woman's implement, as long as he's looking in the mirror in order to make sure that his face is clean. If there's a ketem, some dirt or some stain on his, on his face and he wants to clean his face, well, he's allowed to look in the mirror in order to clean his face. That's not something uh, uh, that's limited to women, that's okay for men. Well, that's not exactly the same, is it, as looking in the mirror to preen in order to make sure that uh, you're looking very beautiful. Now, of course, someone like me, who is so naturally handsome and has uh, no need to do anything, well, of course, of course, I have no need at all to look in a mirror because I'm just so, so naturally always uh, handsome and attractive. But, but according to this, the man who looks in the mirror in order to be able to uh, uh, beautify himself is guilty of cross-dressing because that is an activity which should be limited, which is limited to women. surely, even though the Ramah permitted, even though the Shohanarak permitted men to look in mirrors, using soap, zaif is the Yiddish word for soap, using soap lahasia k'tamim shari v'shari of course it's okay to use soap to remove dirt from the from the body, uh, of course, it's correct to be clean. However, but you no no you can you can find soap on the market which does not have a strong smell. Uh, uh, you know, like it might not be available in your local store, but there are soaps on the market. Which are not perfumed, and those are the soaps which men should use. The men should only use those kinds of soap which men use, namely the unscented soaps. Well, if there's a small, a slight scent to it, that's okay. Now, of course, of course, uh, I, I know that many people are even allergic to many people. Some people are even allergic to the um, to the uh, 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 substances which are used to perfume soaps. And some people, you know, they're, they're allergist or the dermatologist tells them, you know, uh, you, you use an unscented soap and your skin will be a lot healthier. But but uh, uh, according to our author, the halacha is that all sins. Only women are using the scented soaps, men must refrain. Yeah. Now, the uh, Knesset Gadola, these are still the words of the Bear Moshe. He's quoting the Knesset Akadolah, Rabbi Ben was his name, one of the great uh, early poskin. Uh, he uh, uh, points out that according to the Ran, Rabbeinu Nissen in medieval Spain, mm-hmm. The prohibition of men looking in a mirror was already well-established back in the Middle Ages, back in the days of the Rishonim. Kosher all the more so, should it be prohibited today for men to use soap which has a strong smell, the kind of soap which women use. Now, uh, of course, from his point of view, living within the confines of the society within which he lived, this absolutely blocks men within that social group from using uh, perfumed smokes uh, perfumed so- soap, scented soaps. Now, uh, uh, today, um, If you can, in your fantasy, uh, imagine a society in which men, the ordinary soaps which men are using, are also scented, and men men and women are using the same soap, if you can imagine in your fantasy such a society, then of course, as we've seen in the past, we've seen quite a number of proofs in the past, that the prohibition of cross-dressing depends upon social standards in the society, in the place and time where you happen to find yourself. And, of course, these standards vary over the course of time, and these standards, uh, what is normal in one society is not necessarily normal in another society. These standards vary even from neighborhood to neighborhood depending upon the social circles in which you find yourself. We've seen plenty of examples where this this Mitzvah, this prohibition of the Torah, unlike most commandments of the Torah, most commandments of the Torah are absolute and do not depend upon the social standards. This one does depend upon what is acceptable. Now, now, Now even today, when it's become quite common, at least in my neighborhood, Uh, It's become quite common for men to use scented soaps. Even in my neighborhood, I don't know about your neighborhood, but even in my neighborhood, there still are soaps which are scented specifically for women, and only women use, use those scents. Well. Uh, uh, If that's true in your society, as it is in my neighborhood, then then those soaps are for women. And usually that's what it says clearly on the label because uh, that's the kind of of sense which women like to use and which in fact, in practice, men are not using. And if that's the fact that that men are not using it, well, then it's prohibited for men. And that's all there is to it. Let's go uh, one step further. This uh, tshuva uh, was written, as I said, by Rav, by Rav Moshe Stern, the Debrezina Rav in New York. He was uh, uh, one of the great Hasidic uh, rabbis. We're going to look now at the Oz Nidburu. Oz Nidburu was written by Rav Benjamin Zilber. Uh, Rav Benjamin Zilber was generally called Benjamin HaTzadik. Uh, uh, the reason people called him that was because that's what the Chazanish called him, he was a disciple of the Chazanish, and he was one of the leading disciples of the Chazanish. Um, uh, Rav Benyamin HaTzadik, Rav, Rav Benyamin ben Zilber, uh, uh, as, he, as he grew to maturity, became one of the leading poskim, one of the leading rabbis in Eretz Israel, but he's in the other camp, not in the Hasidic camp, he's in the Misnargdik camp. Let's see what he has to say on this issue. Uh, As long as the soap is made primarily, first and foremost, to get clean, men are allowed to use it even though it has a secondary function of perfuming the body. That's what he wrote. Now uh, when he wrote that uh, some people objected and they they said to him, what about the opinion of the Be'er Moshe which we just saw on the previous screen? And and, and he responded, Yedidi, uh, my uh, dear friend, Harav Moshe Shteran, I should say, erro Moshe Stern Schlitter, in his book and he, uh, we we just saw the of on Moshe Stern in the previous uh, two screens he he wrote mistama Asur r Moshe Stern wrote that men are prohibited from using soaps with a strong smell he's right Rav Moshe Stern is right and i i agree with him uh, if it's a strong smell men shouldn't use it uh, and uh, his uh, insight is the insight of a very wise rabbi prohibiting strong strongly scented soaps for men very, very 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 wise insight and, and the, the, the the, 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 the acuity, the, the precision, the, the insight of a wise man is even greater than the understanding and perception of a prophet. Uh, the, the, the wise, Rav Moshe Stern said, He was very wise in what he said because of what happened in my household, Rabbi Yom and Zilber said. and Zilber lived here in Yerushalayim. In my household, a few months ago someone brought into my household sabon, soap with very strong smell uh, and I was very surprised that, that someone bought that soap and brought it into my household of course Men should not use a soap like that. I'd never, I'd never smelled a soap like that. But when someone bought it and brought it into my house, my household, I realized what Reb Moshe Stern is talking about. That's a female. That's a woman's soap. If a man would take a soap like that, He is revealing his intention. A man who uses a strongly scented soap is revealing his intention. He's revealing his intention that he doesn't care only about getting clean. It's clear that he's doing it in order to beautify himself, in order to make himself smell better. And that's something women do. L'chein therefore prohibited. Al panim, l'achmir And of course, everyone should be strict about this. Uh, but if we're talking about our people, in our society, if we're talking about yeshiva people, in the yeshiva society, that's the society he came from. If we're talking about yeshiva people in yeshiva society, behechlet. no one, no man should use these soaps, but if we're talking about a yeshiva person, well, absolutely prohibited, just like Reb Moshe Stan wrote on the previous screens. Okay, now, now, now what we've seen is that uh, if you live, in a uh, society. You don't have to live in a society if you are at the moment located in a society. After all, uh, you can travel from one country to another, and at the moment you're in a different society. If in the standards of the society in which you find yourself at the moment, such and such is, a, uh, is used by men that women are prohibited from using it. If in the society in which you find yourself at the moment, such and such is used only by women and men are blocked from using it. That's the whole point and one should not allow oneself to get too hung up on the specific examples like scented soap or mirrors or whatever, because the specific examples are likely to shift, are likely to change from one society to another surely over the course of time. And uh, even from one neighborhood to another. Now, this of course opens the question, but exactly how these changes can take place? Uh, Are there rules governing acceptable methods for changing what is standard, what is acceptable? Uh, Are there rules? How do we determine when? A change has occurred, and therefore the halacha has to change accordingly. As I've emphasized before, uh, not all halacha, in fact most halacha, does not change according to social circumstances, but this one does, and therefore we're going to need some rules in order to establish what constitutes a valid change in the uh, usage of men and women within a given society. Well, let's see how these things can change in the course of time. We begin with the tour, uh, late, uh, very end of the Middle Ages, very end of the Rishonim, but uh, I choose his opinion uh, to present because uh, it's, uh, it's typical, uh, more or less standard uh, of the uh, uh, mainstream view of the Rishonim. Uh, he quotes the Rambam who says, lo, asru, ha'avarat se'ar, removal of body hair is only prohibited, The is prohibited for men, men are prohibited from removing body hair, only in a place where women are the only people who remove hair from that part of the body. Oh, so apparently back in the Middle Ages, if you were very interested in personal hygiene back in the Middle Ages, here you have a little window uh, to, uh, to to what they were doing. Women removed bodily hair from certain parts of the body. Men did not. And therefore, men are not allowed to do that. The uh, the Baha Turim The Balat which is mentioned in chat, is indeed by the same author, but it's not a halachic work. It's a um, it's a very, very I don't know if clever is the right word. Yes, clever. It's a very, very clever commentary on the on the Torah, and uh, if you are pressed for uh, a Public presentation I mean, a public presentation of, a, of a, something having to do with the weekly Parsha, uh, you'll find very clever things in the uh, in the Baal He was extraordinarily sharp. but in any event, uh, what have we seen? Men cannot remove bodily hair which only women in your society remove. Now in the commentaries on the tour led by the priest, uh, Rabbi Falk was his name. Uh, How do we determine what is normal in a society? Do we look only at what the Jews are doing? No, the preacher says, and this is a mainstream view of the postkin. In order to determine what is normal in a given society, what is normal for men to do or what is normal for women to do, you don't look only at the Jews you also look at the non-Jews, amongst whom the Jews are living. When we're talking about what is normal, uh, what is standard activity for men or for women in a given place and time, we're talking about the, pe- the population in general, including non-Jews. Kevan, denahog, nahug. Whatever the practice of that society is, that's it, and if we're talking about cross, the, the prohibition of cross-dressing, everyone has to conform. Lamdinen, uh, we learn, the way goyim behave has great influence over this particular prohibition, and uh, uh, therefore we must consider what they do as well, what they don't do, what men or women do or don't do even among the non-Jews. And when we're talking about determining the uh, uh, the correct activities for men and women, the correct utensils, the correct things for them to do, if if all of the men change their practice, all if all of the men change their practice or if all of the women change their practice together, if they all change together, well, if that happens, Uh there's no need to object. And since they've all changed together, presto, zippo, the halacha changes accordingly, and whatever was previously permitted now becomes prohibited because now men no longer do that, or men and women no longer do that. Or the other way around, uh, 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 all of a sudden what was prohibited becomes permitted if now all of a sudden all the men are doing it or all the women are doing it. Now you'll notice that in order in order for this to work he requires all of the people to change. In order for a change to be acceptable, it's not enough that uh, individuals change. Uh, that's not enough to say the standards of society have changed. You need everyone to change. Now of course, of course everyone knows that in halacha, whenever the post can speak about call, all of whether it's all of people, or all of animals, or all of whatever it is. Of course, everyone knows that the, the, the rule of majority is what is what rules in halacha, and therefore, although the word kulam does sound like it means 100% of the population, that, that's not halachically speaking, that's not what's required. What, what you need is a majority of the population in order to have the halachic status of all. Now, according to this, we're left with the following conclusion, and this is the mainstream thinking of the postcode. The conclusion is as follows. When change begins within society, there are uh, two possibilities. One possibility is everyone can change together. Uh, That doesn't happen very often, I suppose. The other possibilities, I suppose, far more common. There's a pioneer, a first woman, who changes her practices, or a first man who changes his practices, and, and then, then there's a second, and there's a third, and either the change introduced by the pioneers will catch on and, and be embraced by everyone else and will become common. What do I mean, common? The majority of people are going to be doing it, or the uh, change embraced by. Uh, uh, by uh, the pioneers is going to be rejected by the majority. Now during this transition period, when 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 a majority of the people have not yet changed, I'll give you a specific example and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Imagine that in, in, in the previous generation men did not wear rings. Only women wore rings. Well, that's true in the previous generation. Uh, uh, now now things began to change and all of a sudden some men are wearing wedding bands. All of a sudden changing. Well while the change is in progress a- and the number of men who are wearing wedding bands is still a minority of the population and uh, uh, some pious uh, Jewish man uh, is getting married and he goes to the rabbi and he asks the rabbi, can I also wear a wedding band? Can I also wear? The, the rabbi will look around and he says, no, 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 the majority have not yet embraced this change. No, no, we should not wear a wedding band. Oh, but of course not everyone asks the rabbi. Uh, some people, like the pioneers here, changed started wearing wedding bands, even though if they had asked the rabbi, the rabbi would have told them not to do it. But they didn't ask, they just changed. In the course of time, more and more people changed. Now imagine a, a society in which the next generation, it's common, majority of the men wear wedding bands. Perhaps you know a society like that somewhere in the world. Well, as soon as a majority of the people, a majority of the men are wearing wedding bands, now a pious Jew comes and asks the rabbi, rabbi can I also wear a wedding band? Now the rabbi looks around and says, yeah, a majority of the men are doing it. You too, you too can do it if you wish. Oh, the the, the, the halacha changes only after there were some pioneers who uh, who what they did, without rabbinic consultation, and had they asked the rabbis, the rabbis would have said, no, don't change, but they didn't ask. They did not consult with rabbis. They just went ahead and did it. The uh, new practice became widespread, and at such time as the new practice became widespread, then the rabbis could give their, their, their approval to it. Now this is a terribly important idea uh, and uh, should be borne in mind in many, many contexts. I know there are many areas out there where where individuals are seeking rabbinic approval for various changes they would like to introduce in Jewish society. Uh, just think about the position of women in Jewish society or or many other issues. There are people out there who would like to see changes, and uh, uh, these people are often seeking rabbinic, a rabbinic seal of approval, looking for a rabbi who will approve of this change or that change, which they wish to introduce into the structure of Jewish society. Well, according to the presha on the screen, and, and this is representative of the mainstream thinking of the Poskim, it doesn't work that way. You cannot expect the rabbis on top to impose changes on the structure of society below the change has to come not from the rabbis the change has to come from the people if it's the people who have changed then the rabbis can give their seal of approval but the the uh, The change is not instituted from above, it grows from the people, from the grassroots. It follows therefore that uh, someone who has introduced a change into the structures that he was the first man or the second man or the third man to wear a wedding band in his neighborhood, in his town, well uh, the rabbis frowned on that but they did it anyway they did it anyway. They thought it was cool. They did it anyway, even though the rabbis were frowning. In the course of time, a lot of men found it cool, and a lot of men are now wearing uh, uh, wearing wedding bands. I mean, a majority of them are doing it. Now the rabbis can smile on this. Now, uh, of course... Uh, of course, as I've emphasized many times, not all, in fact, most halacha does not change, most halacha is immutable, but this particular halacha, and there are other examples of halachas which change, according to social standards, that's the way it works. Um, let's go one step further. Uh, before we consider uh, shaving, that's, that's what we're speaking about here, removal of body, body hair, Uh, Consider another specific example, and you'll see how how things go. Back in the good old days, in the Middle Ages and in early early modernity, Middle Ages, early modernity, and truly in ancient times, uh, weapons, as we've already mentioned, weapons were carried by men, and only by men. Indeed, wearing a sword... For example in the Middle Ages or even in early modern times, wearing a sword was an accoutrement, a utensil, an implement worn exclusively by men, and and of course men would wear the sword even if they had not the slightest intention of ever using it, even if they didn't know how to use it, even if the sword they were carrying was not very useful, it was purely decorative, it's part of the male attire to have a sword. Well, in those times, of course, in those times and places, of course, women are not allowed to wear swords because it's a male garment, a male utensil, a male implement. Uh, uh, It is the the founding of the State of Israel, even before the founding of the State of Israel, uh, when uh, when the uh, progenitor, progenitors, of the Israeli army, the, the Haganah, the Palmach, and the others uh, were, 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 were uh, organizing armed forces to defend the Jewish population in Eretz Israel. Of course, the, the question arose are women allowed to join the armed forces? That's a complicated way of saying are women allowed to carry rifles and pistols? Uh, well uh, if you're in a place and time where only men wear swords there's prohibition for women. If you are in a place and time where the practice has changed and we've discussed how these changes occur uh, and women in fact are uh, where carrying weapons, then all of a sudden all of a sudden it becomes permissible uh, that's it works. Now let's focus again on the question of removal of body hair. Uh, the growth, the 18th century, worth at least 20 points in any discussion of Halakha, says as follows. The idea is as follows. Uh, everyone knows that the Torah prohibits men from shaving. That's a Torah prohibition. Now, the Torah prohibition for men to shave is formulated uh, in, uh, with the idea of a razor. The men are not allowed to use a razor on their faces. Now, the, it follows, therefore, Gemara figures out very quickly that it's the razor which is prohibited For use on the man's face. It follows, therefore, that the scissors are okay, that uh, that the only prohibits razors. It follows that scissors are okay. Scissors, back in the old days, were called a zug, a pair of blades. Now, what's the conceptual difference between a razor and scissors? Well, anyone who's used a razor, anyone who's used scissors knows that a razor is a single blade which is sharp enough to cut in this case, we're talking about cutting hair, and the razor can cut other things also. But a razor is a single sharp blade, which is sharp enough to cut hair. We're talking about hair at the moment. Uh, scissors, on the other hand, of course, consist of two blades. That's why they used to call it a zoog, a pair of blades. And in the pair of blades in the scissors, in scissors, neither blade by itself, is sharp enough to cut anything. You surely can't cut a hair with one of the blades of the scissors. It's only the action of both blades together, crushing the hair between the two blades. That's what cuts the hair, but without both blades working together to crush the hair, the hair is not going to be cut with a single blade of scissors. Uh, so, scissors with the blades, on neither blade is sharp enough to cut that's called scissors, and that's permitted for the beards. Uh, a ta'ar, razor, which is sharp enough to cut by itself, rats what the Torah prohibited. Now of course, of course this opens the question of the modern uh, electric uh, shaver for men. Um, Razors are prohibited for the beard for men, that's simple, that's what the Torah says. But as far as electric shavers are concerned, I I don't know all the models of electric shaver in the world, but all the models I have seen work with scissor. All the models I have seen work with scissor action. That is, uh, the hair gets caught between a reshet, between a screen and a a rotating blade uh, crushes the hair, which is caught in the screen. That's scissor action. Now, I I cannot speak about all of the models that exist in the world, but it's easy enough to check any specific model to see whether or not the uh, blades are sharp enough to cut by themselves, and if so, the electric electric shaver is prohibited for men. Easy enough to tell, because the, the shaving head opens up. On every model of electric shaver so you can clean the blades inside. Just to uh, remove uh, one of the rotating blades, uh, hold one of the rotating blades in one hand, and see whether or not it's sharp enough to cut a hair on some other part of the body, not on the face. There's no prohibition to cut hair on other parts of the body. Uh, 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 I would be surprised I could be surprised, but I would be surprised if you find a model of electric, electric shaver where the blades by themselves are sharp enough to cut hair without the the, the without the, rachet, without the uh, screen uh, being used together with it. And the reason I would be surprised is because I, 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 don't, I don't understand exactly why anyone would design uh, an electric shaver which depends upon the sharpness of the blade after all an electric uh, an electric shaver which depends upon the sharpness of the blade will get dull uh, after a few weeks and you you would need to resharpen the uh, resharpen the the, uh, the blades every week uh, r- regularly i don't know why why anyone would design an electric shaver like that but maybe there is such out there i really don't know but uh, it's easy enough to check any specific electric razor, if the blades are sharp enough, and I'd be surprised if there is such, uh, if the blades are sharp enough to cut a hair by themselves, that electric shaver is prohibited for men. Otherwise, it's permitted and that's all there is to it. Okay, now, now, now according to the grow, the grower takes one step further. Scissors are okay, razor is prohibited, Now it goes one step further. But a man who removes his facial hair in order to beautify himself. You see, I'm, I'm of course, so handsome and attractive that my, uh, my beard, such as it is, is a, a great, uh, a great uh, element of my appearance. But a man who removes his facial hair in order to look better, that's prohibited, because removing facial hair, that's something that women do. Uh, women have no beards, men do, therefore, permitted for women to remove facial hair, prohibited uh, for men. That's a female activity. Men are prohibited from removing hair, even with scissor action, even with, uh, uh, with, uh, uh, with electric shavers, because it's an imitation of a female activity, and therefore, according to the draw, prohibited. Now, now this idea uh, is not only an idea of the Grah. We find the same idea in the Tzemach Tzedek. was I was confused. I think he was the third uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe. He's one of the early Lubavitcher and He's a grandson of the Balatanya, making like a third generation. I guess he's the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. Uh, and of course not only in Chabad but in Hasidic circles in general, the opinion of Tzemach Tzedek is highly revered. He says as follows, Men removing facial hair is prohibited because of cross-dressing, even if it's done in a way which is not a violation of shaving the beard, even if it's done with scissor action and not razor action. It's still prohibited because it's an imitation of women removing facial hair is more of an imitation of women than removing hair from the armpit or or genital hair, pubic hair. After all women also remove hair from armpits and pubic hair Uh, men doing that are also in violation but facial hair is even worse because it's more visible therefore the even though you're using scissor action prohibited uh, to remove facial hair doesn't matter how you remove facial hair prohibited 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 now this is the opinion of the Groh, which we just saw on the previous screen the leader of the anti-hasidic forces this is the opinion of the Tzemach Tzedek, the one of the leaders of the Hasidic forces, and therefore in Eastern Europe, this was uh, uh, back in those days the standard, uh, the standard view. Now, of course, this raises the question: Is this a halacha which can change in the course of time from one society to another? Are, are, are we are we required to follow the social standards of 18th century? Uh, Eastern Europe, or can we change our practices accord uh, to, to be in accord with the standards of the society in which we find ourselves? Rav Moshe Feinstein in Igros Moshe wrote as follows: I'm oh, another misspelling. The um, uh, uh, mem and, and, and mem and uh, Tsadi are right next to each other on the Hebrew keyboard, and of course I meant Tzemach Tzedek, uh, according to the idea of the Tzemach Tzedek, Moshe Feinstein wrote, 20th century New York ra'aya, there's a proof, according to him there's a proof al according to, to his proofs Men are prohibited from removing facial hair because that's something women do. From him, Nishma, we hear the only way to object to the to the opinion of the tzemach tzedek, the only way to reject it is to claim that removing facial hair is not a female activity. The gum. Believe that. But maybe there's another issue here, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein suggests. Uh, uh, women, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein points out, women do not have beards. That's the way they were created. Uh, women, in general, have no need to shave, no reason to shave, uh, to remove facial hair. Women, in general, have no facial hair, uh, and therefore, shaving is is not a female activity. Shaving the face is not a, a female activity. That's not something women do, and therefore, a man doing it cannot be called imitating a female activity this is an activity which women don't do Uh, women do not do not shave their faces Uh, uh, what makes this a a female activity He asks even though I am not fit to propose an argument although I am not fit to disagree with the great rabbi, the Tzedek. nonetheless, I'm going to do it. I want to, I want to explain why the men in New York who are shaving with electric razors, Al Makilim, why they're lenient and why they're justified in being lenient, why it's correct for them to do it removing facial hair has nothing to do with removing hair from the armpits or pubic hair. In our society, he's talking about New York, he wrote this back in the 1950s, in New York, women remove hair from the armpits, men don't do that. And therefore, men are blocked from shaving in the armpits. Unlike shaving the face, women don't shave their faces. And therefore, a man shaving the face is not engaged in an activity which imitates women. Uh, For these reasons, in addition to these reasons, we have to add one more reason for leniency. In addition to the above reasons for leniency, namely, removing facial hair is not an activity that all the women are doing. There are some women that do it, but it's not, the, 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 not all of them. Most of them not. In addition to this reason, we live in a place and time, New York, 1950s, we live in a place and time where all the men are clean-shaven. But The afilu even if we don't count into our population count non-religious Jews, even if we look only at the Torah-observant Jews and the non-Jews, we know we have to count the non-Jews as well, we saw that, almost all the non-Jewish men are clean-shaven, that's a vast majority, of the population and of our society here in New York. And we already saw what, the, what the Drisha wrote a few screens ago, that we do count the non-Jews, and therefore uh, uh, the standards of society have changed, and therefore the halacha must change accordingly, and therefore, of course, uh, men can use kosher means to remove facial hair. <laughs> kosher means scissor action. And uh, razor action, and that's most, perhaps all, uh, electric uh, electric shavers. He ends with the words, Hamachmir, Tavoa Birkat Tadona Kadosh, Anyone, any man who is strict and refrains from removing facial hair, uh, the blessing of the great Rabbi Semach Tzedek, uh, the leader of Chabad, shall fall upon him, and he will be blessed. Uh, well, uh, of course, he's sympathetic. Uh, with men having beards, but uh, as far as halacha is concerned, it's not required. And with this we come to the end of our series of uh, on cross-dressing. In Elul, when the Wabi Shura begins again, I'm going to be giving a number of classes. One, a series on the question whether or not women are permitted to enter the sukkah. I hope you find this question to be a bizarre one, Uh, uh, but the answer to the question turns out to be fairly complicated, and the answer to the question turns out to illuminate many of the fundamental concepts of the mitzvah of sukkah, and we'll be dealing with that in Elul. In addition, I'll be giving a series of shiurim on grafted etrogim, etrogmurkav, which etrogim are kosher and which are invalid. And I also will be giving a series of Shi'urim on showering, uh, bathing the body, showering on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Tov. uh, Not on Shabbat, but on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Tov. We'll discuss uh, exactly what is permitted and prohibited as far as showering is concerned. Until then, I wish you a good week and a good summer and a Shabbat Shalom. And look forward to seeing you all again when the Web Yeshiva uh, commences in Elul. Until then, Shalom Shalom.